Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. So I was saying that it was snowing at our place on Friday, and that's just, like, messed up. <laughs> like, really? It is June. This is, like, this is as warm as it gets, but no snow. Anyway, the thing is, is that you know that I love my wife. Because on, on Friday, I was outside in the snow, covering up plants in her garden. And yeah, thank you very much. Like, I mean, and if you had talked to me a number of years ago, I would have said that this is not a good idea. As a matter of fact, I would have maintained that you could go to the most expensive garden, uh, you know, what, what do you call those things? Market gardens, right? Yeah, market garden. You could, go, you, could go, you could go to the most expensive market garden in the country. And if you value your time at all, you are money ahead paying the premium price at the market garden rather than spending time in your own garden. Right? Well, I was wrong, apparently. So I am now at the point where I will go out in the snow to cover up plants. So I just wanted you to know that. That's, you know, there you go. There you have it. We're in, like as mentioned earlier, our last month of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're going to come in for a landing on July the 7th and finish this Gospel. And um, man, I honestly, I hope that working through the Gospel has been as significant for you as it has been for me, even, even, even a fraction. Just as we've worked through and as we've seen Mark laying out for us who Jesus Christ is and what he's done on our behalf. What he calls us to do as his people has been invaluable for me to just be able to work through this again in a little bit more in depth and to be able to try and share with you. And, and so I hope that it's been significant for you. Today, we're finishing chapter 12. Ryan started us off there last week, and we're going to finish chapter 12 today. This is the last instance in Mark's gospel where Jesus does public teaching. And this is also the last instance in the gospel of Mark where Christ has an interaction with the religious authorities before his trial and crucifixion coming up in the chapters ahead. But unlike the other interactions that we've seen so far in the Gospel of Mark, this interaction with a scribe is much different. This interaction with this scribe provokes a far different response from Jesus. Much different than we've seen in the past. And so, 
We're going to unpack that a little bit and then move on to the end of the chapter from there. But before we do, can we pray just one more time and ask God to be with us? Father, again, this morning, would you help us to avoid squandering this opportunity that it is to know you better? God, that you would come alongside us by your Spirit now and that you would speak to us in our heart of hearts. That you would come individually upon us. That you would open our eyes to who you are. And that you would take us from where we are now and that you would grow us in our faith. That we would be different because we've met with you this morning. And so to that end, God, I pray just this one more time. And I ask it again, all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, Mark 12, starting in verse 28. Read along with me. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now before we get to Jesus' response, just notice right here that Mark says that this scribe comes along and he has heard them debating. Now think back a little bit in the gospel to when we were talking about Jesus saying to the people listening, those that have ears to hear, let them hear. Because Mark is pointing out to us that this scribe has ears to hear and he's hearing from Jesus. He's listening. He's doing the math. His ears are open to what Jesus has to say. And he's impressed then with Jesus' arguments. Jesus responds to him, verse 29. The most important one, the most important command, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, for the scribe to come and ask Jesus this question isn't really that uncommon. And it's not that far out of character. Because at that time, it would have been common for scribes and and religious leaders to debate about the significance of the commands, the significance of the law. The law was divided in, in sort of two categories, into heavy ones, the heavy ones, and the light Those that carried more weight, more significance, as opposed to those that were a little bit lighter, that weren't as significant, as onerous, perhaps. And so, the religious leaders would debate back and forth. Well, which one is the greatest one? Which one is the most significant one? And so this scribe comes to Jesus and says, well, which one do you think is the greatest? But Christ's response is far different. It's out of common. It's out of character for what would have been the debate. Because he brings up two. And these two have never been paralleled before in Jewish history, in, in, in the religious, in the faith. Jesus bridges two things together and says, these two are the most important. Out of all the 613 commands out there, These two are the greatest. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then, love your neighbor as yourself. Together then, these make the greatest commandment. Jesus was saying that it is not sufficient to name the one. It has to be both of these together. You cannot separate the two. It has to be them combined. John 1, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, and verse 21 back that up, as do other places in Scripture, but let's just turn there for a second. John says this, Dear friends, since God loved, so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Verse 21, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Church family, as we hear from Jesus today, we need to understand that it is not sufficient to just think in. We also need to think out that they are part and parcel, that we can't just show up on Sunday morning and think about God. We can't just go home in our house and sit around and think about God and love Him. The litmus test of our faith is when we love God in such a way that it propels us and moves us to love others, love our neighbors as ourselves. It's not, it's not good enough to say that I love God, that I'm good with Him, that I'm fine. I've got my, my future looked after. And I don't care about the rest of the world. I, I'm just going to live and let live. I'm going to do my thing. They can do their thing. I'm good with God. I'm good to go. Jesus is saying, no, doesn't cut it. You need to love God and love your neighbor as yourselves. Together then, now. Then we're on to something. Now we're getting somewhere. That is why that we want everyone, we want as a part of our DNA, everyone in, in FBC to be praying for three people. That this would just be a, a matter of practice for us. Day in and day out, that we would be praying for three people that, that God lays on our heart, that do, that do not know Jesus yet, that have not come to a saving knowledge of God, that we would be praying for them. In that way, we can demonstrate that we love them. That we love them enough to care, to pray for them. Not just that, but that for sure, that we would be praying for three people. Do you have a list? On your mirror? Have you made that list? Are you praying for those three people? Do you have it set in your phone, that reminder that reminds you to pray so that we don't forget, so that we don't miss out, so that we can demonstrate that we love people enough to be praying for them? Notice then the rest of the exchange between the scribe and Jesus. It goes on, verse 32. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. 
To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So the scribe agrees with Jesus' response, but then does something very interesting. He adds to it that loving God and loving our neighbor is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now that's crazy talk coming from a scribe. Don't miss this today. Don't miss this. This would have been highly unusual for a scribe to admit, make any sort of a claim along this line. The the, the sacrificial system and the law was the wheelhouse of the scribe's world. They were all into the legal. That was what they were about. Was how the sacrifices and the offerings all relate to life as they know it. How this system works. They would have been there enforcing it. They would have been the ones that were making sure that everybody understood we're doing it properly. And for a scribe to come along and say, well, these two commandments to love supersede the offerings and the sacrifices. Well, that would have been nigh unto heresy for a scribe to be admitting. It's a hugely unusual response. But it's evidence again that this scribe is hearing Jesus that he's listening, that he's open to what Christ is having to say. And he's beginning to bring his life then in line with where Jesus is going and what Jesus is teaching. Jesus then does something. He endorses the scribe's assessment. Verse 34, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Okay, now the church family again. Don't miss this. Mark points out to his readers, then and us now, the revolutionary nature of Jesus and his mission here on earth in terms of how we relate to God. Mark wants his readers then and us to know now that what Jesus is doing, what he is all about, is revolutionizing the way that God is calling for us to relate to him today. It is no longer going to be through sacrifice and offering, but it is going to be through his son, Jesus Christ. The the old sacrificial system is about to end. It's about to be finished, left behind. The old covenant was being replaced now by a new covenant through Jesus Christ who came to fulfill the law. And Mark is pointing that out for us today. That through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, for, by virtue of Him laying down His life as the, the one offering sufficient for us all forever going forward, that this whole system now was going to be defunct and Jesus was going to replace it. That this was a whole new day by virtue of Christ and His work for us on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. Now the scribe was hot on the trail to understanding this. He was picking up what Jesus was laying down. He had ears to hear. 
And I wouldn't be surprised that one day we'll see him in heaven. That as the rest of the events of Mark unfold, that he would have continued to do the math and see what Christ accomplished and then have placed his faith in him for his salvation. How about you and I today? How about you and I today? Where are we at? Maybe you're here this morning, I'm sure that you are, that there are people here this morning that don't don't know Jesus yet. You've come to church, maybe you've come with a friend, maybe you've come out of obligation, maybe you've just come out of curiosity, you're wondering about what Jesus Christ is, you're wondering about what church is, you're wondering if it has any relevance to your life, it does, it most definitely does, that's what Mark is writing about today, but you're here like us all, with a mindset, with a conviction. And so often we come with this idea that we are good with God for whatever reason. Maybe we look around and we decide that we're, we're pretty good people. I'm not a, a bad person. At the end of the day, I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not perfect but I'm not that bad. And in our minds, that works out so that God, he'll be okay with that. He'll accept that. He can live with that. Or maybe we're here this morning and we think that there are all, all kinds of different ways to get to God. That in the end, it doesn't matter which trail we choose, that we're going to end up in heaven with God. Mark is here to tell us that that's not right. Anything other than Jesus Christ doesn't suffice. And that's what Christ came to do. If all of these other options were true, then Christ's sacrifice would be unnecessary. His death would have been moot, irrelevant. So Mark's writing for a decision. Mark's writing for us as people to listen and do the math. To weigh what Jesus Christ has done against everything else that we know and understand in life so that we can see that He is the way, the truth, and the life and that no man comes under the Father but by Him. How about you and I today? Where are you at in terms of who you believe Jesus Christ to be? Are you hearing God speak to you today through the Gospel of Mark? Do you need to go back to some of the chapters that you've missed so far and catch up? Please do. Come and talk to us. But Mark isn't just talking to those that don't know Jesus yet. He's also talking to those of us that claim to know him today. And we'll see that as we continue on. After this one lone positive interaction with the scribe, Jesus goes back to pointing out the fallacy and the error, the, the, the trouble, the problem with the religious leaders of the time. So we need to understand that this is one exception, as is so often the case. The majority are going to miss this. Don't be one of the majority. Be one of the few that does the math and finds God in this. 
Picking it up again in in verse 38, we see Jesus cautioning the people to be careful not to fall into the mistakes of the scribes. Says there, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Once more, Jesus points out to us that the religious leaders of the time have exploited their position that they've taken their place, their position, and they're leveraging it now for their own benefits, to their own ends, according to their own agendas. And they've compromised the law. They've compromised the faith system of the people for their own interests. They had special clothes that they wore that would distinguish them as scribes, as as religious officials. So they were set apart. They would be noticed. And they would walk out into public places. And the expectation was that at that point, then as they arrived, as they walked into your presence, that all the people would rise out of respect for them. And they would provide them with a proper greeting. And that was important to the religious leaders at the time. Validated them. They were given seats of honor in the synagogue while the rest had to sit on the ground. They would sit on seats. When they would go to functions that they were invited to, they would be given places of honor. And they were all about that. And while being a scribe did not automatically ensure that you were wealthy, they had taken their position now and they were leveraging it to that end so that they would have wealth and privilege and everything, all the trappings that went with it. Even to the point, up to and including, that they would pilfer widows' homes from them if they had an opportunity. Is it any wonder that Christ is upset and that he points to us today and says, don't get into that mess. Don't follow them. Because therein is a danger. As we see that happening, what is so often the case? We are prone to adopt it for ourselves. Well, I get it. They're leveraging it for themselves. So there's a way that I can do that too. And I will begin to leverage life for my interests and my purposes only. Or, And or, that by doing that, by taking their position and leveraging it, when we take our position and we leverage it for ourselves, our own interests, then we we distract, we detour, we disillusion people from finding God. That they see us and how we conduct ourselves. And they think, well, if that's what Christianity is all about, I don't want anything to do with it. If that's who Jesus is all about, then forget it. Jesus is saying, don't succumb to this. Don't go there. Stay out of that mess. And then he adds something very significant at the end. Don't overlook this either. 
He says, these people will be severely punished. These men will be severely punished. Jesus is pointing to the fact that there is coming a day of reckoning when each of us is going to have to stand up and answer for what we've done, what we've believed, our actions. Not, and not to get all hellfire and brimstone today. But in society today, in the church today, we've done a good job of making God our buddy. We've made Jesus one of our homeboys. He's okay. We're good. Yo. See how I slipped that in? That's some street talk. There. Gets, gets me points with the kids. We've done, a, we've done a, a good job of bringing God down to our level and leveraging Him for our purposes. And Jesus points out here just very, very neatly in a succinct little sentence, one day is coming, a day when they will be severely punished. Don't miss it. That day is coming for you and me too. Then the focus changes. The focus changes. Verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. Now the temple treasury was in the first area of the sanctuary, if you will, open to everyone. And there were 13 depositories or, or chests that were set out for people to bring their temple tax and their free will offerings. And so these chests would have different designations. A couple of them were set aside for the, the temple tax. A number of them were set aside for free will offerings. And so this is happening in the midst of everybody. And as you would come in to this area, you could observe who was donating. And, for that matter, how much. Wouldn't be hard to see how much they're putting in. And as a matter of fact, as we were seeing earlier when Jesus came and was clearing the temple, this whole system has been exploited now for, by people. They're using it to their own end, ends and purposes. Not just the re religious authorities, them especially, but not just them, the people as well. And so they'd make a show about making an offering. Whoa, look at me. Look at how much I'm dropping in. So as they're sitting there, this is easily observable. And Jesus is watching as a number of rich people, it says, come in and, and make their offerings. They toss significant amounts of money into the treasury. But it's a poor widow who garners Christ's attention. This widow drops in two very small copper coins called leptons. Lepton was valued at one 128th of an average common laborer's daily wage. One 128th of a common laborer's daily 
wage. She drops in two of these. And all of a sudden, that's got Jesus' attention. And it says he called. Actually, we'd be better understood, it would be better understood to, see, to hear him say, he summoned, he summoned his disciples and makes a point now of pointing out what has happened. Uses this widow as an object lesson so that he can speak into the lives again of his disciples about the perspective of Jesus, about the perspective of God. And so, even though at that point, there were, in all probability, likely a number of rich people that are making a big to-do about their offerings and about how much they're contributing, what Jesus draws to our attention here is not an indictment of the rich, or even of wealth. Don't, don't read it that way. Don't, don't misunderstand it that way. What Christ draws our attention to is an indictment of a flawed perspective that values the size of the gift rather than the level of the devotion of the giver. Okay? What Christ is... Indicting what Jesus points at is messed up is this system whereby we value the size of the donation over the level of devotion of that of the donor. That, he says, is messed up. Now think about this for a moment because we're so often prone to just Glaze right over this and go, yeah, the humility of the widow, that's awesome. That's great. But if we had been sitting there in the temple that day, if you and I had been sitting there, how would this have played out? How would this have gone down? I think it would have gone down far differently. We would have been sitting there, and this poor widow would have come along, and she would have garnered nary an interest from us. But the ones that are dropping in the significant coin... Would have, would have got our attention. We would have been elbowing each other. Dude, you see, buddy? You see what he dropped in? Dude's loaded. Guy must be balling. There's some more for you guys down there. Right? That's what would have got our attention. That's what we would have noticed. That's what we would have been interested in. Right? Am I not right? We don't, we don't see any shows on TV about the poor and the destitute. We're into the rich and the famous. Because that's what we aspire to. That's where we're headed. That's what we're looking for. And Jesus points this out and goes, wait a second, messed up. Doug, your perspective is messed up, dude. That's not how God looks at this. You got to give your head a shake, man. Get this cleared up in your thinking. I'm not interested in the amount of the donation. What I'm looking for is the level of devotion in your heart. How interested are you in me and my causes? In here, 
not back here. Now, if we want to get the most out of what is going on here, we have to go back and look at what Christ was just talking about with the religious authorities as he condemned them and their approach. And together then with what he's teaching about the widow. We can look at them individually. We can look at them separately and they have lots to tell us individually. But when we look at them together, we get the most out of this passage. Jesus begins by pointing out the self-absorption of the religious leaders. He points them out and says they're exemplifying, they're, they're promoting exactly the opposite of what God desires. They have made life about themselves. They are interested in pursuing life for their own sakes. Not God. It's become all about them, not Him. On the other hand, this widow comes in with these religious leaders as a backdrop and Christ points to her and he says, there it is, that's what I'm looking for because she's figured out that it is not at all about her. Not at all about her. It's all about him. And she brings what she has, recognizing that she'll contribute as much as she can to the things of God and his plan because it's about him. On a deeper level yet, Mark points out that the scribes, these religious authorities, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, have made life about them to the extent that they are now looking to kill Christ. That their objective now is to kill Jesus. They want him dead because he is threatening their lives. He is threatening, even worse, their lifestyles. And so against that backdrop, then we see the widow come along who's ready to give up her life for God. At least in so much as she gives what will in all probability be everything that she had to live on that day. For her, it was more important not to eat that day in order to contribute to God and where He is going, what He is calling us to, than it is. To make this about her. So whereas they're trying to kill him to preserve their lifestyle, she's ready to lay her life down for God. In the same way that in a couple of chapters, Jesus Christ is going to do for you and for me. Out of his devotion to God, he will lay his life down so that we too can come to know God. The question this morning, that you and I have to now ask ourselves, is where do you and I fall on this scale? Are we over here, like the religious authorities, where we are going about life for our own purposes, where we're making it about ourselves, where it is all about our agenda and what's in it for me? Or have we come this way? Are we moving in the direction now of the widow? where we've recognized that this life is not about me. It's about God and what I can do 
to further his purposes and his plan, what I can do to help others to find him too. Where are you today? Where am I today? That's the question that's being asked. Only you can answer it for yourself. Let's pray. Father, this morning, God, would you please help us to do the math? Don't don't let this just be a story, Father, that we read, that we affirm as we nod, and then as we walk out and not change. Don't, don't let us, God, don't let us fall into this trap where we continue on in life making it about ourselves. Where we pursue everything towards our own ends. But rather, God, change us by your Spirit work in our hearts and our minds to convince us, to, to show us otherwise where this is about you and where our greatest calling and our fulfillment comes as we pursue you and as we are used by you and open and available for you to use to bring others to yourself. God, to that end I pray. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake alone. Amen. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week. We start chapter 13.